She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Millennium, season one. Episode 22, Paper Dove. It's the season finale. There's probably going to be a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. This episode was written by Ted Mann and Waylon Green and directed by Thomas J. Wright. It was filmed on location in British Columbia, Canada, and it originally aired on Friday, May 16th, 1997. So we open in Hagerstown, Maryland. A woman, Amy Lee Walker, leaves a grocery store, which I thought was funny just because we just had a grocery store opening too. And I was just like, that's just interesting that it keeps happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. This one looks more like just a standard grocery store, though, instead of a bougie store. Yeah, which, it just looks like a regular. Which is odd when we see where this lady lives, but okay. I know. She has a real nice kitchen, a nice house with like one of those like big roundabout driveways. Anyway, it's uh-huh. fine. Which also reminded me of a Kolchak episode because there's an episode where the episode with, uh, with Julie Adams plays the drunk lady whose husband died. Mm. I think it's, uh, is that is that Mr. Ring? Is that the episode? I think so. No, I don't remember. Scientist. Yeah, her husband was a scientist working on a special government project, and he dies. And then she's, like, drunk, but she's super hot. And, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that was Mr. Ring. Yeah, But, yeah, they have a big old circular drive, too. Yeah. So, anyway, pains are taken to make sure we realize she's an attractive woman. And some doofus-looking young men stare at her as she walks past. In the parking lot, we see an old, dirty blue van that has very generic rock music that's blasting loudly. Mm-hmm. The woman gets to her car and she disables the car alarm and puts her groceries in back. Then we cut to the van. The bad music has a repeating lyric about a stranger in the house, which, you know, super subtle there. Then we pan from the radio to the driver who's starting the van and we don't see their face, but they're only wearing underpants. No pants, no shirt, just underpants. Nice. <laughs> Amy drives out of the parking lot, and the dirty blue van does as well. So at a stoplight, the van pulls up alongside her, the music still blaring. And we see she's kind of, like, not really paying attention. And then as the light changes, she does kind of glance over. And I'm sure she's probably like, that guy's not wearing a shirt. But she doesn't know he's only wearing underpants, so it's not that weird, I guess. It's kind of just like, meh. And so then she pulls away, and the van pulls away after a slight delay. And then Amy pulls into the circular drive in front of her extremely nice home. Mm-hmm. It's a very nice house. Yeah. And I just realized, correction, that is actually not that episode that I'm talking about with the circular drive. The one with the circular drive is, I believe, the one with the Native American who turns into a bird oh, and attacks the guy in the driveway. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. That circular drive. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of Television is big, giant, nice houses all the time, and they just like, these are middle-class houses. And I'm like, fuck you. So I anyway. mean, maybe in the 90s, that shit ain't true anymore. Uh, anyway, as she pulls into her driveway, we see the dirty van drive down the street. So inside the house, she disarms the alarm, and she puts away the groceries. And then she hears a door, and she assumes that it's her husband. So she starts talking about how she has dinner plans, but she's going to make them a nice snack because dinner's going to be a little later. And she stops as a man enters the entryway. 
He's shirtless, but he's wearing waders with suspenders and he's holding a Polaroid camera. And there's terror in her eyes as the man lifts the camera and takes a photo. Mm. Which is very creepy. I mean, that's that's scary as hell. And then it's main titles. And he just wanted a picture of her because she's purdy. Mm-hmm. Well, also, we'll find, yeah, he collects pictures of people. Oh. So then we come back, and it's epigraph time. And this one is actually poetry. And now there is merely silence, 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 saying all we did not know. And that is by William Rose Benet. And this is the last line of sagacity on page 38 of his 1933 book of poems, which is titled Starry Harness. Hmm. And the poem is actually really short, so I'm going to read it. So, sagacity. We knew so much. When her beautiful eyes could lighten, her beautiful laughter follow our phrase. Or the gaze go hard with pain, the lips tighten on the bitterer days. Oh, ours was all-knowing then, all generous displaying. Such wisdom we had to show. And now there is merely silence, 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 saying all we did not know. Mm. Ooh, that kind of hits a little bit. Mm. Mm. Yeah. This book is available for a one-hour checkout on archive.org. If you're interested, there is a link in the show notes. So. Nice. Awesome. So then we're in Arlington, Virginia, and a car pulls up to a house and parks in the driveway. Catherine Black exits the rental car, followed by Jordan and Frank. An older man and a woman come out of the house, and Jordan runs to them. And they comment on how much she's grown. And Catherine's mother, Justine, hugs Catherine, and then she hugs Frank as Tom, Catherine's father, holds Jordan. Catherine asks about Dawn, and her father says she'll be late, but she'll be there for dinner, and carries Jordan inside. Later at dinner, we get the prerequisite telling of a story about a sibling. Which is funny because they're at their parents' house. Like, they're not at Frank's parents' house. So it's just funny that they're telling stories about them. I, I don't know. I guess it makes sense. You're telling it to Frank. I don't know. I just thought it was, they could have yeah, come up with something different. Yeah, I don't make any. Yeah. Uh, it's not important. No, it's just I just a always think way it's, to fill space. You, anytime there's family gatherings on television, it's always someone telling a story about when they were kids. And you're like, uh-huh. everyone's probably knows this story. That's Everyone. what I mean. Yeah. Everyone Except for maybe table. one person. So what are you doing? Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. Dawn is the older sister and is telling a story about Catherine. Tom looks bored as fuck. He's like, mm. <laughs> and Frank notices and kind of smiles. And I was like, you got it, man. I'm with you, Tom. So apparently Tom was foreign service. And so the family traveled a lot. And Catherine always tried to learn the local culture and the language. And we learned that Catherine knows Arabic, apparently. So Yeah. Maybe that'll come in handy. We'll find out. Yeah. Dawn apparently couldn't have cared less. And to be honest, seems extremely unlikable. I was actually going to call her a bad name, but I decided not to. Because the one I wanted to call her is one they shouldn't say on a podcast. So there we go. Mm -hmm. She cuts off Jordan to complain about Spain when Jordan is trying to show everyone how she can count in Spanish, which is like, you're cutting off a kid. Kid's talking, you're cutting him off so you can bitch about something. And then she makes a snide comment about Frank and his work. So maybe she'll get killed later and we'll be lucky. I don't know. Kind of hoping so. Yeah, she's not super likable at all. No. Mm -mm. So then the man with the van, who is Henry Dion, is fully dressed. He's wearing jeans, a t-shirt, and a camouflage jacket. He's in a garage and he's loading his waders, which he you know does a smell test on. He's like, yeah. Yeah. Into the and he puts him in the van with some other items. 
A car pulls up outside and revs its engine. Henry smiles and walks out to it. A tinted window slides down and a younger man in dark glasses says, Don't you owe me thanks? Henry says he certainly does. The man in the car said he wanted it done while he was in town. He just arrived. Henry says, I'm with ya. The man asks about photos. Henry mimics his Polaroid camera, you know, took pictures, and the man says, enjoy, and rolls up the window. Mm. Then we see Henry in his van driving down a two-lane road, and he's talking to someone about how he knows all the historical markers up and down the state, and they pass a sign that reads, Northwest 10, Battle of Chancellorville. He then recites the text of the marker and goes into this weird female accented voice about how you must memorize all the facts, every word, pass the test and succeed. He then apologizes and says, oh, I'll never do that to you. And the camera pans down across the van and we see the bloody arm of Amy Lee Walker sticking out of a rolled up rug. Ooh. I actually thought it was a German accent at first, but it mm-hmm. is supposed to be French Canadian. So mm-hmm. yeah. maybe he doesn't do good accents. I don't know. So. <laughs> Henry Dion is played by Mike Starr and will undoubtedly look familiar to almost anyone and has one of those extremely long, like one and done IMDb list of credits that explain why he looks familiar, but makes it kind of difficult to pin down from what. He has over 240 credits from 1978 to 2023. His biggest, longest role was in 45 episodes of Ed from 2000, 2002. And that only counts as one credit, by the way, because they count it by, like, the media, mm-hmm. not by, by like, the, show, the yeah. episodes. Yeah. So he was also in movies like Uncle Buck, Ed Wood, Dumb and Dumber, Mad Dog and Glory, and The Black Dahlia. Nice. So we see Jordan is in bed at her grandparents and is asking Frank what time it is in Seattle. And he's like, 7 o'clock. And she's like, no wonder I'm not sleepy. So Jordan <laughs> understands time zone, which is fucking awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Although I guess if you're traveling with a kid, that would be a fun thing to explain to them. We're leaving Seattle at yeah. this time. Which also means it's 10 o'clock there. So like they're like, yes. you need to go to bed. Yeah. So Catherine appears with her favorite teddy bear. And Jordan's excited. And then they kiss her goodnight. And in the hall, Frank leans against the wall, clearly exhausted, and is like, long day. Yeah, they traveled and they had family stuff. That's a lot. Yeah, Yeah. that is a long day. Yeah. He grasps Catherine's hand as she walks by and kind of spins her into a hug and then gives her a kiss. And she asks if he got Don's little digs. And he did. And she apologizes. And then he shrugs it off and is like, go take a bath. And I'll see if I can find some of that cocoa you used to make for me. And she thanks him and says she knows it's not really a vacation. And he says he likes being away with her makes him feel naughty and then she laughs and is like in my parents house and he smiles and is like they still don't know and so they kind of like it's really cute it's cute it was cute yeah it was sweet yeah so later we see frank is making cocoa on the stove and he's like looking at the directions trying to figure out how to make it and stirring <laughs> the pot and everything because like dutch cocoa apparently is fancy whatever and then tom comes into the kitchen Catherine's father. And they talk a little bit, and then Tom brings up some neighbors, the Hunzikers, whose son Malcolm was convicted of killing his wife in a serving a life sentence. So just some small talk. Yeah, you know. Yeah, as you do. He worries that the father is going to die without seeing his son. And Frank is like, whoa, whoa, all, all convicts are allowed to visit a dying family member. Like, I can make some calls. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. It's the other way around. The father refuses to see his son. Like, everyone pretty much believes he did it, except for the mother, who still believes he's innocent. 
but he was hoping that maybe Frank could talk to the father so that he can like make some peace with his son before he dies. Cause they're like old family friends. Mm-hmm. And Frank says, it's like, well, I can tell him that every day of his son's life is a punishment and there is no sense in punishing him from the grave. So mm-hmm. Tom is like, do you think you have time tomorrow? And Frank's like, yeah. So they agreed to go tomorrow morning and take care of it. Mm-hmm. So. So then it's still nighttime and we see Henry pulling his van into Meharan National Park. At the ranger station, he says he'll need a campsite until Friday. And, you know, the ranger's like, oh, it's early in the year. And he's like, that's just how I like it. So basically he has his pick of campsites. And then near some trees, we see Henry clearing an area. And then he dumps Amy Lee Walker's body out of the rug and he wraps it in plastic and covers it with leaves. He then reclines and sings Frère Jacques en Francais. French people. Fuck French people, man. Well, he's French Canadian. They're honestly, they're worse. French Canadians. (laughs) Quebecois is almost like Nazis anyway. (laughs) Okay. Strong takes. (laughs) And it's a commercial. Yes. So in the morning, Frank and Tom try to convince Mr. Hunziger to allow his son Malcolm to see him, but he refuses. As they leave, Mrs. Hunziger apologizes and says she knows this is not what they came for, but she hands him a large file that's her son's defense case, and she asks if he would just look at it. She wants her husband to know what she knows, that their son is innocent, and she hopes Frank can find that in the files. At the campsite, Henry is having a cup of coffee and watching another family leave. He goes back to his campsite and then passed it into a wooded area and talks to the pile of leaves that he placed over the body. And he's like, they left. Now we can talk again. He says it feels good to have someone who listens. Frank is going over Malcolm's files when Catherine comes into the sitting room. She says her dad would understand if he just wanted to drop this and enjoy himself. He says it's fine. He wants to check on a few things, if that's okay. She comes around and puts her arms around him from behind, and she says that Dawn is taking them sightseeing, and then she sighs. He says he'll catch up later and promises he'll try and take some time to actually enjoy himself instead of, like, you know, sitting in the den working. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I would rather be going over a murder case in the den than going, like, sightseeing with Don. So, honestly, Don is... Fair points. Fair points. Yeah. It gets worse with Don, honestly. So It does. Yeah. 100%. So then we're at Jarrett State Prison, Greensville, Virginia. Frank is speaking with Malcolm Hunziker over a phone across a glass partition. He tells Malcolm his father's dying and asks if he'd like to visit him. Malcolm says he's innocent. His father doesn't believe that. Frank kind of lies and says Mr. Hunziker would like to believe it. Mm-hmm. Malcolm says he loved his wife and what his father believes about him dishonors that. Frank asks to hear Malcolm's story and Malcolm's like, you've already read the statement. And Frank is like, I want to hear it in your words. And then Malcolm asks if he's being profiled. And Frank kind of lowers the phone, like, okay, if you don't want to talk, fine. And then Malcolm kind of gestures to pick it back up. And then he relates a story. And he talks about how, like, she would always have dinner ready for them. And he kind of had a game where he would come in the door and try to guess what dinner was just by smelling it. Mm -hmm. And he said meatloaf. And then he walked in the kitchen and his wife was on her hands and knees. And there was blood everywhere. And there was this horrible noise coming from a hole in her throat. 
And so he panicked. He didn't know what to do. And so he grabbed her and he put her in the car and they'd only lived there for a few months at the time. And he didn't know where the hospital was. So he just drove and then they pulled her to the side of the road and he just held her until she died. And that's how the police found him mm-hmm. in his arms. And he was covered in blood and he's crying and Frank lowers the phone and just kind of looks at Malcolm. So, yeah. And I have to say, like, I understand if you panic, you do weird shit. But a lot of times when we're watching old TV, I try and think like, okay, well, like, was 911 a thing yet? Because that wasn't invented until relatively recently. But it was a thing when this happened. So I'm kind of wondering, like, why he didn't just call 911. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It seems kind of crazy. But like, again, people panic. So he panicked. He grabbed her. It just it does make him look bad that he, you know, but I can see why people are like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. But panic is real. Well, we also don't know. Well, he says that they hadn't lived there for a while. So I don't know where they were living. They might have been living like some super rural place too, possibly. Yeah, that's true too. Because it does sound like there was no hospital nearby either. So yeah. maybe like, yeah, maybe it would have taken them too long to get there. And he just thought it would be faster to get her. Maybe he car. got a job somewhere and they had just moved. They were, you know, yeah. I don't know how long they were married at the time or anything. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So. we don't get those details. So we see Jordan is playing in the playground as Catherine and Don watch. And Don has a camcorder and is recording everything. And Catherine's like, what are you doing? And Don is like, mom says I have to record every second that you're here. So anyway. And then they sit down and she's like, I'm glad to finally see you, sis. Like, because you always sound so distant and lonely and unhappy on the phone. By the way, where's your husband at? Why isn't he here? Which I'm like, why isn't your husband there, Don? Anyway, I don't like Don at all. Anyway, no. Catherine is like, he's doing a favor for dad. And she's like, oh, yeah, he's always doing something noble. And basically, I think she's like transferring because she's talking about how like Catherine seems miserable and her husband doesn't love her. And Catherine's like, Dude, we're fine. I don't know what your problem is. And then at the same time, she's keeping an eye on Jordan because Jordan's playing with a bunch of kids and on the swings and like, hey, don't be careful on the slide, that kind of stuff. And then Jordan runs over and is like, mommy, can we stay longer? It's super fun here. And then she runs off to play some more. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Dawn just has a chip on her shoulder for sure. Like, she's like, you seem miserable. And she's like, no, I'm happy. And it's like, just take her word for it. Yeah. Like, stop. And she's like, what makes you think that? And she's like, a sister can tell. And I'm like, well, apparently not, bitch. Shut up. <laughs> So <laughs> then we're at FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, which looks a lot different than FBI headquarters in Quantico, Virginia in the X-Files. But okay, I know. Yeah. yeah, it's a different yeah. building. <laughs> yeah. And maybe it's a different entrance, a different side of the building. You know, Frank is seated around a table with three FBI agents. Agent Kane explains the physical evidence against Malcolm. There was blood everywhere. There was no hospital in the direction he was heading. And they even found matching semen samples. And Frank is like, she was his wife. <laughs> that's i mean yeah that happens i don't know what to tell you kane says the jury slam dunked a case and so why should they think any different and frank says he doesn't match the profile and agent emmerlich says that not everyone who kills a wife is a serial killer and frank notes the precision the larynx was removed but the jugular wasn't cut whoever did it wanted her alive but wanted her unable to speak it took planning and medical knowledge so he asks if they can provide any info on similar victim types. And Agent Devlin says, yeah, we can do that. But he wants to ask Frank a question about the Millennium Group and about the increasing levels of violence in society. And Emmerich says his wife thinks it's the artificial hormones in beef. <laughs> Devlin is like, okay. And then he asks if some of the Millennium Group thinks there's a larger evil out there. Kane's like, yeah, it sounds like a religious thing. 
And Frank says, some people have that belief. Devlin's like, well, what do you think? And Frank says, I don't think it's in the beef. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a good exchange, actually. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because they kind of come off as being goofballs, but yet they also seem to be knowing what they're doing later. So it's kind of funny. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. Then it's nighttime at the campsite, and we see a woman, Carol, come out of the washroom with a pile of dishes. And then she's putting them away in her truck, and it's startled because Henry is standing way too close to her, behind her. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, are, are you camping here? And he's, like, being extremely creepy, which I guess makes sense because he's killing women, and says, yeah, my camp is over there. And he kind of, like, nods his head to the right. And then her son Nick runs up, and he's cut his hand while cutting kindling. The axe slipped, I guess, and he cut his palm. And so Carol's like, oh, I'll get the first aid kit. And then Henry introduces himself to Nick and is like, hey, do you mind if I take a look at that? And then Henry gets it all cleaned up and bandaged and it seems totally not creepy with Nick and, like, talks to him and jokes and that kind of stuff. And they get it all done. And Carol's like, well, you did a really good job. You know, you did. are you a doctor? And he's like, no, just an outdoorsman. And then he's like, well, it's getting late. And Carol's like, well, maybe we'll see you again. And he kind of pauses and he's like, you never know. <laughs> I know. So. I was like, I do not have <laughs> high hopes for this woman surviving this camping trip. This is very creepy. But yeah. So then Frank and Catherine are in bed naked and sweaty and clearly have just had sex. And Woo! she's got her head. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, too, because I don't know if you remember. This was an eternity ago. But I know we were looking at some reviews of Millennium and someone, mm -hmm. Emily St. James, I think, might not have been her, so I apologize if I'm wrong, was saying like they have a really platonic relationship and it doesn't seem like they ever get intimate. And I was like, well, <laughs> yeah. here you go. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that a lot. And that's when I was like, let's, let's stop reading them. They're, I don't like them. They don't. Yeah. So. I mean, I usually do vibe <laughs> with what she says, but at that point I was like, uh, I think they do. Yeah. And this clearly, clearly they do. So Catherine's got her head on his chest and he's holding her and he's like, I really missed you today. She says she feels so safe lying with him and asks if they can just stay like this forever. Frank says, sure. Live on fast food and get their exercise the old fashioned way. Oh, vapors. <laughs> My gosh, Frank. Catherine laughs and says, yeah, until Jordan wakes up. So then he asks what she and Jordan got up to today and she tells him about Dawn and like how Dawn was, you know, being Dawn. <laughs> and Frank's like, well, she has her own problems. And she says she finally told Dawn how to fix them. And Frank asks how. She's like, the same way we just did. And they kiss. Woo! Mm. So I, I think there are two ways you can take this. I have a preferred way. And then the other way is that she probably told Don, like, you and your husband need to have more sex. You already get enough. So I got the impression it was the other one. <laughs> yeah. Where she was just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's the impression that I got. But I don't know. Catherine is a lot yeah. more diplomatic than that. So yeah. maybe not. Yeah. In my head, she's like, get fucked. <laughs> yeah. That, that's yeah. sort of what I assumed. But you never know. Then we see Henry is talking to Marianne's dead body again. So she's uncovered. He's like pulled the plastic and the leaves off her. And we can see she has a gaping slit in her throat. Hmm. You hadn't already put those pieces together, people. And he talks about how he was insecure about his Quebec accent. So he worked hard to get rid of it by trying to talk like a DJ. 
And then he does a country DJ voice. But she wouldn't let him be a DJ. He had to be what she wanted. And as he talks, the POV switches to someone watching them. And then a camera flashes and we hear the little Polaroid sound, you know, the little photo coming out. Mm -hmm. And Henry turns, but he's like not bothered that someone just took a picture of him with a dead body. (laughs) So that's a little weird. And he just is like, oh, hi. (laughs) The weirdest, weirdest exchange. You're just like, oh, okay, cool. Can you imagine Uh, just cutting that clip and putting it on YouTube and you've got like the guy talking to the dead body and then you go click and you're like, and he's like, oh. Oh, hi. <laughs> just and like, then just stop. Okay. No more context. Just stop. Boom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we see the guy who took the photo is the guy from the car. And Henry tells him that she's a good listener. And again, the man says, enjoy and turns and leaves. It's super weird. It's super weird, but I don't hate it. It's weird, but it's like, whoa, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Like, I want to know. I'm in. I'm totally sold on this. Yeah. So then we have a commercial. And we come back. It's morning, and Henry is listening to the news on the van radio about the disappearance of Amy Lee Walker. How they don't have any clues on where she's at, and she's been missing for a while. And Henry switches off the radio and says it might be time for Amy to go home. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we see the family is preparing for what looks like an outdoor brunch on the deck, and Jordan is there, and she's like, is it time yet, Mommy? And Catherine's like, no, not yet. And Dawn, being the miserable person that she is, is like, what is Jordan so excited about? And Catherine says that they're going to call the kennel where Benny is being boarded so Jordan can talk to him on the phone. And Dawn is like, Jordan is so devoted to that dog. Is that a good sign? I'm like, you suck so bad. Like, stop I know, being of course miserable. The kid, like, what's wrong with you? God. Of course the kid likes her dog and, you know, misses the pet, like, while she's out of town. Like, I miss my cat so bad when I travel. Like, fuck you, lady. Jeez. And she's just like, you are just a miserable person and you want everybody else to be miserable, too. Mm-hmm. Like, ugh. Anyway. Justine, Catherine's mom, says that Jordan probably would be devoted to a baby brother or sister. <laughs> Catherine. Catherine just gives her that look of, like, we've had this discussion before. I've had this discussion and you're saying it in front of my kid. Don't yeah. don't freaking put that idea in her head. Like don't. Yeah. So her mother's like, okay, I won't say anything about it again. And then Catherine gets up to go and get Frank, because Frank's inside. And we see that Frank is looking at a crime scene photo, very similar to Amy Lee Walker's current condition and location. So it's like a person like laying in the grass who's dead. And you know, I almost think it's actually her, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's, it's not similar. her, it's someone similar, yeah. Yeah. So Catherine's like, what are you looking at? And he like puts them away so she doesn't see them. And is like, oh, just something I requested from Quantico. And then he tells her that he doesn't think Malcolm Hunziker killed his wife. And she's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And he's like, I think he interrupted her murder. It was the killer's first time and he got scared and left. And then she's like, do you think he's still out there? And Frank says, well, there are four victims in the area so far. And she's like, well, are you gonna tell them? And he's like, well, I have to be sure before I turn all this over. And she's like, well, when? And he's tomorrow. And so she's like, so this means you're not coming to the Smithsonian with us? And he says he has to go visit a three-year-old crime scene. And honestly, he probably doesn't want to go hang out with Dawn. So, no, yeah. probably not. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he would love to take Jordan to the Natural History Museum or something. But yeah. 
Yeah. Also, I'm guessing like maybe not. Maybe the family moved there and retired. But I'm like, I mean, they did move around a lot. But I'm like, were you not kids in this area? Like, why are you sightseeing so much? Like, well, because they've got the kid this? with them, and I, don't I guess, know. and I guess, yeah, and they mentioned they haven't been there for a long time. Been a long yeah, time and if you go together, visit, so. you're like, oh, let's go do the stuff that you can do when you visit. You know, you're like, no, I just want to sit on my ass on the couch and have a vacation. Why are you having me <laughs> run around town all the time doing stuff? I don't care. But anyway, yeah, maybe that's just me. I don't know. Yeah, not everyone's like that. I am because I'm freaking tired, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say yeah. my wife and I are both like that and then her brother who lives here in Portland he is like we we call him the ambassador of Portland like when people visit he's like oh, oh we can go do this we can go do this and we can go this and we're like can we, we just not can we just like, sit on the porch <laughs> and not do anything but yeah <laughs> so then we're at Peaks of Otter Bedford County Virginia Frank and Ranger Chet walk through the woods as the ranger shows them the crime scene location Frank says he prefers fall and late winter. There were no victims found in summer. And Chet shows him the exact spot where the victim was found. The leaf bed is thick. He says she was found about half uncovered, but covered with clear plastic. A hiker called it in. Frank says that wasn't in the report and asked if they interviewed the hiker. Chet says he never gave a name. They get a lot of calls like that where people see or find something. Frank believes the killer picked the spot because of the leaves. Chet says he must know the woods. 20 yards either way, the leaves wouldn't build up as much. Frank bends down and touches the leaves and has a vision. A woman lying in the leaves, but alive. And then a gurgling noise and something over her throat, but she's still alive. Mm -hmm. Frank says the body would need to be close to the campsite. And Chet's like, you mean he didn't just dump her and go? Frank says no. He spent time with her. She listened while he talked. And Chet looks horrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are so many people in this episode who have been in the X-Files and other Millennium episodes. Never mind, like, all the other things they're in that we tend to mention. Like psych and leverage and supernatural yeah. all kind of stuff. So we're not going to go into all of them. You can go on the internet and find out if you want to. But I have to shout out Gary Davey, who plays Ranger Chet. Because he was in four episodes of The X-Files, including having his head frozen in season one, episode 23, Roland. And he will be in one more episode of Millennium. So nice. nice. I think he did a good job as Ranger Chet. Yeah. So. No, he seemed like a park ranger who was not happy to hear about murder details. So, yeah. yeah. Then we see Henry removing leaves from Amy's plastic-covered face. He tells her summer's coming. It's no good for him. The tourists, the flies. But he tells her not to worry. There won't be any flies on her. She's done her part, and now he'll do his. Then he sets up his Polaroid, which clearly has a timer feature, and takes some selfies with Amy. So, mm -hmm. good cool. for him. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then we see a crime scene photo. Hmm. And Agent Kane calls the killer their big woodsman. So he's got a name. Frank is back at FBI headquarters and is explaining the first time theory regarding Hunsaker's wife's murder to them. And so they've got stuff up on a board and he's pointing out photos and talking about it. And he's like, while the method on the throat varies, in every case, the purpose was to silence the victim. Frank says he's silencing someone he knows, a wife, a mother, whoever it is. Once silenced, the victims are a captive audience and they listen to him. And that's what he wants. That's why he doesn't mutilate them. 
He wants someone to listen to him. And Devin is like, do you think he has a nagging wife? Our profile suggests he was a loner. And Frank's like, well, he doesn't do blitz attacks. And he has no trouble getting to middle-class homes and feels comfortable in them. That's where he lives. And he lives with someone. So... Emmerich makes the connection to Amy Lee Walker, which is amazing since if that was a middle-class home, we need to have a conversation with all these bougie-ass Silver Spoon writers from the 90s about median incomes because, mm, <laughs> I gotta say, it's like John Hughes movies where everyone lives in a fucking mansion. But Frank realizes he's following the campsites up the Appalachian Trail because they got little flags, which I don't know why someone didn't realize again because there's a fucking straight line of these flags where the bodies are. You're like, he's moving up the trail. I don't know why it took Frank to realize that, but okay, FBI. This may be his final chance before summer. Devlin's like, ooh, that's a big area. But Frank says, he'll call it in. He won't want to leave her out there. Then it's night and there's a crime scene in the woods. Amy Lee Walker's body is taped off. Devlin tells Frank they missed him. An hour ago, a local paper got a call from a guy claiming he was fishing. Saw something and didn't want to get too close. He was scared. No name. Frank says he'll be watching the news, waiting for word that they found her. Mm. I wonder if I'm going to set something up. Frank does that a lot. He puts shit in newspapers and he stuff. He does. Yeah. Yeah, he, he loves using the news against these people because he knows they're mm. going to be reading it and they're going to react if they say the right thing to get them to react. Mm-hmm. And oh, it works. It works. Yeah. Oh, it works bit. well. Yeah. We see the point of view of someone entering a house. And there's this like weird sing-song chattering from somewhere in the house. And in the kitchen, we see a woman cleaning with big yellow gloves. And then she turns and the point of view changes and we see it's Henry. Henry's point of view is what we saw. And that's his mother. And she's batshit fucking crazy. And she won't shut up. And you can kind of understand why he's doing what he's doing. Because she talks nonstop. Mm -hmm. And she like grabs him and grabs his face and is like, Telling him to do stuff and then being lovey. I mean, she's all over the map. So, yeah. Yeah, And her voice is annoying. Oh, my God. It's annoying. Anyway. But with all that talking, we do learn that he is a registered nurse and that he learned his love of nature from her. Not his father, who died early. Probably because of that, she says. But anyway, she's fucking nuts. She's like the manic version of Dawn, like completely soul draining and warping. Got a little bit of like whatever happened to baby Jane vibe going on. Just a little bit. She pulls his dinner from the fridge and is covered in plastic and says she made it with love, but gives it to him cold, just like lays it down. I know, she doesn't even (laughs) heat it up. What the heck? It's like like mashed potatoes and vegetables and like. And like meatloaf or something. No, it's like some pork. I think it's like pork. I think it's it's spam, actually. Oh, okay. Later, it's definitely like fried spam. I think that one is too. Either way, it's something you'd want to heat up. I mean, you can use spam cold, but it's something you would probably want. It's either the exact same food all the time or it's the fucking same plate and he didn't eat it. I'm not sure because we see it again later too. And she's like, you can eat it and then call your friend. And he like perks up when she says that because he's been like looking like a zombie ever since he came in the house, just like dead to the world. Just like, anyway, and she says that his friend said he had some pictures for Henry and then Henry smiles and she's all like, Tori was saying all like, oh, my little baby, oh, my little cabbage man. Yeah, well, like, shushu is, like, French for little, you know, cabbage. It's a term of endearment, so I think that's where Uh, that's coming from. But she, yeah, she because she is French-Canadian, but she's just like, and she calls him Henri, Henri. she's always all, Henri, Henri. Yeah. But she is, woof, she is a lot. And it definitely, like, I don't 
obviously condone or agree with how he is handling this situation, but you can definitely see why he does what he does. Like it is very clear. Yeah. Tori and I were talking earlier and we talked about how like I actually had to fast forward through some of this and just read a transcript because I could not handle her talking. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. So, it's intense. Yeah. yeah. It's it's rough. Yeah. But this is a commercial. Then we come back. And we see Henry is working as a home care nurse for an elderly woman with dementia. And the man from the car is also there. He's like standing behind the couch where the woman is sitting and they're like having a conversation over her like she's not there, which is super sweet. Mm-hmm. Uh, sarcasm. And Henry is talking about what a good listener Amy was. And then he shows him the pictures he took of himself with Amy's body. And <laughs> yeah, he's all, and he even kind of shows them to the old woman who's like, oh, it's nice. You know, she's just like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also mean to her and, you know, kind of a dick. So not yeah. really great at his job. And the man hands Henry some new photos, one of which is of Catherine and Jordan. <gasps> And it was slightly subtle, but at the park earlier, there was the sound of a car revving its engine. So I guess we were supposed to, maybe not supposed to, but now we can kind of call back to that. Yeah, he was there taking the photos because Jordan's on a swing. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Henry points to the one of Catherine and Jordan. The man's like, that's his wife. Henry hands it back and says they don't work for him. He can tell a good listener. The man tells him to keep the photos. Henry says they'll work for someone. The man's like, there's always someone, and he leaves. <gasps> this, so I think from what I've read, and it's from the episode, I think this dude is the guy who's been sending Frank the photos. Like That would make sense. That would make sense, given that he's very into the Polaroids. And with Henry being like, they'll work for someone, like, is this dude, like, connected to a bunch of different serial killers and, like, hooking them up with victims? Like Maybe. Or at least he's clearly trying to find someone to, like, you know, antagonize Frank and possibly grab, yeah, hurt hurt Frank in other ways. So, yeah, something's going on. So then the news comes on the television and there's footage of the woods. And of course, like the woman's talking and Henry like screams at her to shut up so he can hear because, again, not great at his job, Mm -hmm. kind of an asshole. And he turns up the TV. And we see a reporter is speaking with Agent Kane, who says that the person who called in the body had speech that indicated he was likely a coward, possibly gay, and may have been mentally deficient, which is just so 90s (laughs) to be like insulting about, oh, he's possibly. I mean, I know they're trying to like work at what's going to really get to Henry, right? Like Mm -hmm. what's really going to eat at him so that's probably why that's in there but it's just like holy shit. well and also we have to realize that in the 90s being gay was considered deviant behavior even then so yeah i mean, I mean it still, still is, is by many people but, so yeah but yeah but henry clearly doesn't like this assessment kane also indicates that they believe the call was a hoax and wasted a lot of their time and effort but they'll continue to search for amy lee walker and then henry loses his shit he's like they haven't found her yet And so he's just like freaking out and he turns off the TV and he picks up the phone and he asks for Agent Kane. Yeah. And when he does, he says some things that we're not going to repeat on the Mm -hmm. podcast. So, yeah, Yeah, he does say some not nice things, but it it obviously worked because they got his goat and they got him to call. Uh So, yeah, mission accomplished. So Kane, Devlin, Emmerich and Frank and the agent who answered the phone are all in a conference room at Quantico. The agent who answers the phone places the call on a speaker so they can all hear it. 
And Henry goes on a huge rant about how they need to go get Amy and that he's going to kill, kill, kill. And he knows all about Frank Black. So he just kind of like rants and raves. And then he just Mm -hmm. slams down the phone and the agent at the phone in the conference room writes down the number and hands it to Kane. Got it. Yeah, they got they finally got their number. Woo. Frank says the killer has obstacles to overcome. Kane says the number is a private residence. Frank says he wants to be caught, but he'll try to kill again first. So then we just see Henry's mother's mouth just like talking, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like her lips. And then we cut to he's at a table and he's still in his nurse whites and she's got a list for chores for him and he never does them. And she brought him food again. Same food it looks like, probably still cold. And he just says nothing. And then she looks down. And when she brings him the food last time, too, she, like, brought him, like, a fork and a knife all wrapped up in a napkin. Like, everything's, like, super sanitary and everything, too. So she looks down at the plate now and realizes there's no knife. So she gets him another one. And she's still, like, just constantly talking. And he, like, says, I've got another job. i got to get ready for it. So he gets up and leaves. And she, like, yells after him that he, like, please do his chores. He doesn't listen. Henri, Henri, Henri. So. Whew. Yeah. She's yeah. very annoying. Yeah. In the garage, he opens a large double panel, like a little section thing. And inside are hundreds of Polaroid of women just out in the world doing their business. Like at the store, walking down the park, like not realizing there's some creepy motherfucker, like taking photos of them. So and then there are a few empty spots and he opens the packet of photos the man gave him earlier. And he looks at the one of Catherine and Jordan. <clears throat> no. And then it's nighttime, and Catherine is reading at her parents' house. She's sitting in a chair, reading a book, and the phone rings. So she picks it up, but no one answers. And then they just hang up. And so she sighs, and she turns out the light. (gasps) And then we see this car pull up to a gigantic house. And there are so many gigantic houses in this episode (laughs) that you don't know whose gigantic house it is. And we see people get out and realize it's Frank and the FBI agents. And they go in, and the nurse is there that's caring for the elderly lady. And she's like, I relieved Henry. And then she's like, did he do anything wrong? And then Frank is like, do you have an address for him? And so she goes and gets one. So, And then we see Henry's mother doing dishes. And she hears him come in. She's like, I hear my little bed. Henri, Henri, come in here and see your darling mama. And then he turns and he goes into the kitchen and she's got his list of chores. And he's like, later, I promise. And she's like, oh, you always promise. And you have to read the list and la, la. And he's like, I'll do it when I get back. And then she says she's got to get this wooden spoon out. And she knows he hates the wooden spoon. And he kind of reacts to that and starts like get a look on his face. Like apparently the wooden spoon is traumatizing. Well, yeah, she probably spanks him with it. Yeah, something. I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then she's like, don't look so glum. And she's like, oh, I know what'll make you smile. And then she's still got those big old like yellow rubber gloves on. And she squeezes his cheeks and laughs and, oh, look, it makes you smile. And then she's like, give your mama a big hug. And then she leans in and hugs him. And he pulls a steak knife out from his back pocket and he stabs her a bunch of times. And she's, ah, and she falls on the floor and she's dead. Yep, she's dead. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if he stabs her multiple times or if he like stabs her, then like jams it around. But he he, he does something, and then she's like ah and falls to the ground. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So then, a huge team of police and FBI arrive outside. 
They go up to the house. The door is unlocked, so Frank opens it, and the agents rush in. And we see Henry's mother is dead, and she's partially obscured by the cupboards. Yeah, we can't see her head. Yeah, we can't see your head, so we don't. I actually wasn't sure if we were going to find out it was detached or something, but we don't ever actually see it. It's it's really weird because well, we'll, we'll keep going, and we'll, you can kind of choose your own adventure here. So, so there's a huge pool of blood, and what sounds like the garbage disposal is running. Henry is slumped on the floor on the opposite side of the kitchen near the sink and dishwasher, and so like the garbage disposal is running. He's on the floor, a little bit away from that. There are bolt cutters and a spool of wire on the floor as well. Yeah. I read in the transcript. It, to me, it looks like a spool of wire. I read on the transcript that it's actually part of the garbage disposal that he maybe removed so he could put something in there. Oh, like something big, know. maybe? Like he's shoving maybe, yeah, her larynx it, down the garbage disposal? Yeah, possibly? but it looks it looks just like a spool of wire, but I don't know. It, you can't yeah, really I don't know it, what parts you know. of garbage disposals look like, to be honest. I would so think it would just be know. the top part, but I'm like, there wouldn't be a bunch of wire on. The, I don't know. So, yeah, but. Yeah. That's what I read. So Frank says Henry's name. Henry opens his eyes and is like, uh oh, like, oh, I've been caught, but like really kind of casually. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like the, oh, hi. Just like, yeah, I mean, like, very similar, uh-oh. similar attitude. Yeah. Frank slowly approaches the garbage disposal and Henry says, you, like he recognizes him. Mm-hmm. Frank tells him not to move. Henry says he won't. Frank switches off the disposal. Henry says she's dead, but the important thing is they came to understand each other in the end. Isn't that right, Frank? Frank looks at him and then turns away. Officers lift Henry to his feet and take him away. Do you think that the we came to understand each other in the end, isn't that right, Frank? Is the we Henry and his mom or is the we Henry and Frank? I think it's Henry and his mom because she's not talking anymore, right? He threw her. I'm okay. guessing he cut out her larynx and put it in the garbage disposal. That's what I got. And yeah, then banging around in there. Yeah. she's dead. So he could sit and talk to her. And so okay. I think that's what he's talking about. I wasn't sure because then like Frank shows up, Frank's caught him. He yeah. knows it's Frank. And so like they have like, you know, vibe going too so i wasn't i wasn't sure i mean i guess it could be both I'm not, it could be both I'm, yeah not clear so i'm not sure he was talking about i was wondering what you thought so I, yeah i, I definitely sure. thought it was him and his mom but it could absolutely okay. be him and frank too because frank caught him so he came to an understanding of who he was and where he'd be right like i don't know yeah yes yeah, so i'm not be sure. either way or both at the hunziger residence mrs hunziger has given jordan a white origami dove that she made she says the origami is her hobby and it's a paper dove oh <gasps> A paper dove. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. Jordan and Catherine thank her and say how beautiful it is. And in the other room, Malcolm sits with his father as two prison guards stand by. Mrs. Hunziger thanks Frank and hugs him. Aww. Because I just want to clarify that even though they know Malcolm is innocent, it's going to take him a while to get out of prison because they don't just yeah. let you go. Our system is no. fucked. Anyway, that's not important, but I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> So then we're at the Seattle-Tacoma airport, and Frank and Catherine approach baggage claim, and Frank is carrying Jordan, who's asleep and clutching a ragdoll. He says he'll go get the car. She asks if he wants her to take Jordan, but he says that he'll take her and put her in the car so she can stay asleep. You know, you got a sleeping kid after traveling, you probably want to hold on to that, so I get it. They kiss, and Frank leaves. 
But as he exits, we see the man from the car standing outside the entrance and looks in. (gasps) Catherine is waiting for their bags at the baggage claim and holding the paper dove that Mrs. Hunziker gave Jordan. Frank pulls up and we see that Jordan is sleeping in the back seat. So he gets out, locks the doors and like walks through the glass doors right over to the baggage claim. And he doesn't see Catherine, but he sees the paper dove on the floor and picks it up. So he looks around, but there's no sign of her. She is not there. And then he sees their luggage go by on the conveyor. And he says, Catherine, and he crushes the paper dove. (gasps) It is over! Cliffhanger! As promised. Yep, yep, there's our cliffhanger. Catherine has been taken. Abducted. (gasps) And he's a man in black. He is a man in black. With like a, yeah, with some facial hair. Oh, goatee. Yeah. He is really young looking, though. He is he very young like he's looking. Like mid to late 20s, maybe. Yeah. Maybe early 30s, but yeah, not he's not old looking. So, yeah, interesting. Hmm. So, as someone who fancies himself good at naming things in the little newscast when they were talking to the FBI agent, and then he's like, oh, we're going to keep looking for her. And then the newscaster, she like signs off. It's all, it's happening now news. And I thought that was pretty good. I was like, good flow. <laughs> it's happening now news. That was awesome. I liked it. So, nice. Good. Yeah. Also, it didn't hit me until the very end of this episode. Like it clicked in my head. Like Henry is using photos to pick his victims. But in the opening, when Emily Walker begins talking to who she thought was her husband when she's coming home, her voice was like nails on a chalkboard to me. I was like, whoa, I did not expect that voice to come out of that mouth. Oh, my God. And like, so was Henry's mother's. And I'm wondering, like, it wouldn't make sense in a story, but I wonder if they did that on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, probably. That is, I didn't notice that. Her voice did not bother me as much as the mom's. The mom's okay. was incredibly No, the, vo- no, the mom's was way more, but like when she first but Amy talked, is very chatty, though. She's like, oh, you know, and I got those crackers you really like, and that well, fancy she has that kind of, and You like, know how sometimes you hear people talking, and you're like, that is not your real voice. You are. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're putting It had that, that kind of, and it may have been, because maybe that wasn't the actress's real voice they were trying to make. I don't know. It's just one of those things, again, like on the last episode, we talked about how like in this episode, they kind of get heavy handed with a lot of stuff. And they kind of do like, you know, like they once, are once you hear what happened to Hunziker's wife, you're like, oh, see where this is going. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's very and then clear. We get like the we get like the car revving at the park that you don't really necessarily pick up on it. But later, like, oh, and then there's just lots of stuff. They're like, da done, da done, da done, making sure that they hit all those beats. And it's kind of like, OK. And then this I was like, wait a minute. Her voice was pretty annoying. And that's the thing. He wants people to be quiet. So, mm-hmm. but like, but I was like, but that would make sense. He wouldn't know what her voice sounded like. No, because he just is watching her, or like, I like you said, he probably picked her from a photo. So yeah, I mean, he probably stalked know. her for a while to make sure like how to get in the house and that kind of stuff, and like what yeah, her habits were, true. like turning so the alarm maybe, off, and yeah. but so he may have heard her voice. I don't know, but I mean, yeah, that may have been something possible. that set him off. But yeah, I was just like, wait a minute. So yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, I was just wondering. I wasn't sure. I could see it being intentional. Yeah, for sure. Because it did sound, like I said, it sounded like an an affectation, that voice. It sounded like someone putting on a voice as opposed to someone talking. But, I mean, there are people with voices like that. Yes, there are. Yep. I remember you telling me that you, we were talking about when we were scheduling to do these episodes, and you were saying that you kind of like this one. I did like this one. It was weird. And I like, I like everything that's weird about it. Like, I 
did enjoy it a lot. Like, obviously, watching the mom talk was oof. That was rough. And also watching him abuse the lady, uh, the dementia patient. That was not fun. But like, I mean, he's not a good person. He's not supposed to be a good person. He is murdering women and bringing their bodies to the woods because he doesn't have anyone to talk to when he could just go to therapy. So, you know, Um, but I mean, he's not supposed to be a good person. So you're not really I mean, you you can sympathize with his situation without condoning the way he deals with it <laughs> but you can understand why he does what yeah. he does they too. do Not a that- little bit of that thing that they did in broken world well there are certain parts where he, like when he's interacting with the kid right and you're like oh mm-hmm. look he he can like interact with people like he's, he's right. trying he just doesn't have any skills because of how he was like raised right and they did that same thing with the killer in broken world with that one part when he's talking to the lady at first and you can kind of tell like he's maybe like he's kind of interested in is like trying to just like have small talk but he's like totally unable to and it's like right. super uncomfortable and then he comes back and kills her but like you kind of get that like you kind of feel for the guy like you can see the struggle yes. and so they do a good job of, I mean, some of that's the writing, but I think a lot of that also is the actors because you could. Yeah, you know, I mean, he. So they humanize him a lot for someone who is murderous and abusive to old people. Like you still yeah. can feel like he's a person, you know, who is clearly fucked up and doing terrible things. But like, yeah, yeah, he does feel very real. In fact, all of this felt really like I really did like it. Like the whole like going to visit family and there's always one family member who's like a pain in the ass or not fun or makes the trip not exciting and like the Mm. whole like the exchanges that frank and Catherine had i thought were really cute and like the fact that like she's like i know this isn't a real vacation like we're not going (laughs) we're not at disneyland here i don't think frank would like disneyland at all but you know what i mean like they're not on a beach in hawaii they're just like visiting family and so especially for frank that's a little trying because clearly her sister does not like him (laughs) i don't think her sister likes anybody honestly no i don't think so but like it's not easy when your like wife's sister is not a fan you know and thinks your marriage is fucked up because he's working or whatever and it's ruining her life even though she's fine no i just thought it was really good like the whole the whole thing with him taking selfies with the body is just so like i know and he, he's having the body do peekaboo like they're yeah. doing peekaboo oh yeah the they're selfies like playing around yeah it's, it's, it's like and then like the whole the guy taking the picture and he's just like oh hi like, he's yeah. not even freaked out because it could be anybody taking pictures of you with the body he's not even worried about it i don't know i thought it was good like, it all makes sense. They do pathologize him a lot with the mom and stuff. But, like, I don't know. I was entertained by it. I thought it was engaging. And then at the end, as soon as he goes to get the car, I'm like, oh, fuck. Something's going to happen to her. And then we see the guy. And I'm like, oh. And then, obviously, he comes back in. And she's not there. And I'm like, damn it. Damn it. But I yeah. do wonder, though, like, okay, so that's the Seattle-Tacoma airport. Yes. And I'm like, that, like the PDX airport is never that fucking empty like a flight just arrived people are leaving like that airport is like there's no one like there's people when they're first getting the bags and then when he comes back with the car like how long was he gone because when he gets back there's like two people in that whole fucking airport well you know they're really quick about getting your baggage out if you fly alaska air they're just like yeah get it on the belt (laughs) i'm not even sure the bozeman airport was ever that i used to i drove the airport shuttle to bozeman and i'm not even sure that airport was even that empty no i mean it's it is 
And it's funny because it is, it does look like actually SeaTac. I don't know if it is, but it does look like it. But like, obviously there have been a lot of upgrades and improvements over the last 20 years. So it looks like it probably did in the nineties, but it's definitely changed. But the baggage claim doors, like that's exactly how it's set up. So that did not throw me at all. But yeah, you're right. I mean, and the fa- I was thinking, like, man, it's really bold of this guy to take her from here because there's gonna be people everywhere. <laughs> well, that's like, how did he? Like, how did he get her? Like, I thought that's yeah. all I'm thinking, like, mechanics wise, just like physically, like, what did he do? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, like you could you like the, you know, the TV, like, oh, I've got chloroform, which doesn't work that way, but you know, oh, it knocks you out and I could drag you away. But it's like someone's gonna like, what did he do to like get her away from the airport without someone? seeing something yeah i don't know maybe we'll find out in the next yeah maybe they'll be maybe they'll be like security cam footage i'm sure there probably will be like next episode next mm-hmm. season because the airport there's got to be security cam footage or at least yeah. they'll be looking for some and then maybe it'll be spooky and we'll just see Catherine disappear or something Ooh, Ooh. creepy maybe we're gonna be tying this into some demon shit who knows maybe I, know. I actually know nothing about season two so i know how season two ends i don't know anything like before that so it's the it's only weird. thing i know about season two is that chris carter had to work on fight the future and was more focused on the x-files so he basically handed it over to morgan and wong and yeah. that is all i know <laughs> i think too is season two when we get our two darren morgan episodes it maybe? is maybe okay yeah because there is a jose chung's right yeah there's a jose chung's doomsday defense and then there is somehow Satan got behind me towards the end of the season. Okay. So, well, I'm looking forward to those. I always like Darren Morgan. So, Which we had talked about how maybe Darren Morgan had a problem with Morgan and Wong. And then I was editing the podcast. I'm like, how would he have a problem? It's his brother. Why would, he, why would they have a problem? And also he worked on Millennium with them. So, yeah. But anyway, talk about when Darren Morgan left. Anyway, ratings wise, I really wanted to give this a nine. But Ooh. I have just enough. Well... I'm I'm torn between eight and nine because I do think it's done really well. Okay, let me play devil's advocate here and ask you. Sure. What would keep you from giving it a nine? I don't, I just, yeah, you know, I guess really nothing. I guess I'm annoyed by the mom, but you're supposed to be. So mm-hmm. that's fine. You know, yeah, I guess I don't really have a reason to hold back. So I guess I'll just give it a nine. Because it is all good. It all works. It all comes together. I didn't have, like, there was no moment where I was like, wait. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I even, like, I even like the FBI guys, like, asking about the Millennium Group. They're like, tell us about this group. Do they really think the world's ending? And, like, the whole, like, my wife thinks it's the B hormones. Well, and I, well, and I, I cut, it, I cut it out of the summary, too, because, like, the summary, I always want to write the summaries nice and tight. And then I, yeah. like, oh, I got to, oh, I got to put this in. I got to put this in. I got to put this in. And there's a part, like, when he's like, we want to ask you about the Millennium Group. And then, like, the other two guys are like, Oh, and by the way, just so you know, we totally appreciate the fact that, like, with a Millennium Group, you can avoid a lot of bureaucracy. And the other guy's like, and you must be raking in the dough. And Frank's <laughs> like, not yet. So <laughs> Frank's like, no, actually, no. Uh, so yeah, no, it was just, it was yeah. good. There was a lot of, like, good exchanges. And, like, again, like, Catherine and Frank were really cute. Jordan's always adorable. The killer was just fascinating. The whole thing was, I thought it was really well done. So, yeah, I guess a nine. All right. So, you. Millennium, I will advocate for you. I think I'm going to go with a nine also. Because okay, wow. The, well, the, the issues I would have are, I guess in my issue with something I already mentioned is like the, like going full bore on some stuff and being a little heavy handed. Because yeah. I do think, like, I think the mother is a little heavy handed. Like I think she's over, incredibly heavy handed. They, 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 they yeah. overdid it. I think it's a little, it's, it's very, it's almost a caricature. 
Like, mm-hmm. it's not almost like you're like, that's a real person cannot be that. And I'm sure there probably are people like that and are probably worse. So, but yeah, just watching it, you're like, woo. Yeah, so, it's, yeah, it's a little over the top for sure. Yeah. I also do, and this does not affect my rating. If anything, this actually is a reason why I should give it a nine. When we were talking about like how they were humanizing him a little bit, I actually got a little upset that they were doing that to me. Like they would make me realize that he was like a person and then he would do something horrible and I'd be like, God damn it. You fucking made me like him. And then he just did this like with the elder stuff. Uh And again, I'm wondering, and maybe I'm giving them too much credit. I wonder if that was intentional because we get a similar dynamic when Frank is talking to Mr. Hunsaker in the beginning and Mr. Hunsaker is like totally like he's an animal. He like she had dinner on the table and he just butchered her and doesn't want to have anything to do with his son. And then like he asked Frank if like, you know, do you feel sympathy for people like that? And Frank is silent. And he's like, Yeah, I thought so. I don't want to see him. And so like we're getting that same thing of like, you don't want to feel sympathy for someone, but then you end up feeling sympathy for them, and then you realize they're a monster again. And you're like, oh damn it. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's good to humanize villains because villains are human. Like, yeah, you, you don't know? want to just have like a one-sided kind of, yeah. Right? They just, yeah. Man, so. Give them a little depth. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, look at Millennium ended on a, man, the last four episodes were strong. They were very strong. I mean, Millennium's actually been pretty strong all the way through. I mean, it has. It's it. had a couple episodes where I was like, hmm, hmm. my 15 on. You were like eight, 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 seven, nine, seven, six, nine. And I was like eight, eight, seven, seven, nine, nine, eight, nine. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a pretty solid show. It is like, yeah, it knows. I mean, I was reading some reviews of it, and like people have said, like, season one is very Chris Carter heavy, and season two is very Morgan and Wong heavy. And one of the complaints against the show was just that every season feels separate, mm, but like, yeah. I don't actually know anything about the next seasons. So to me, this show, I mean, there is a lot of Chris Carter in there. And I do, I do love Chris Carter. Obviously, I'm a huge X-Files fan for life. But like you can definitely feel him in a lot of places. But I feel like he just had a different vision for this that just for whatever reason is working very well. Whereas the X-Files can be kind of hit and miss. I mean, even Millennium is hit and miss, but yeah, I, mean, I don't Chris know. Carter it's been only solid. wrote four episodes in season one. Yeah, but he lot. has some kind of vision, right? Like he has some control over the show as it's coming. I mean, Morgan on. Wong wrote three of season one, and then they're writing like almost right. literally almost half of season two. I know, but I so. think the showrunner has a little more say than you know, just even if they're yeah. not writing episodes. But no, they do have some having having it. not completely seen them, but having read about them and then knowing some of what happens, I think that is an accurate portrayal about each season is like a different show mm-hmm. a little bit the season two to season three is a big jump I, okay. again, I know how, i know how season two ends and then i know a little bit of season three that's a big complaint of people like this it like totally just completely changed direction oh wow okay so well we yeah. will deal with that when we'll, we get we'll see to if it. that's true because again that's <laughs> me reading that's me reading shit on the internet so who knows right so who knows if we'll agree yeah exactly yeah. But I mean, season one was pretty solid. I'm really impressed with it. And I'm glad we've decided to watch it. And I hope if you're listening, you're enjoying us talk about it. And maybe you're intrigued and maybe you'll watch some of it, too, because it is really good. And Lance Lance Hendrickson fucking kills it every time. So there's yeah. Unfortunately, I don't know that it's streaming anywhere. And the DVD set is super expensive. Yeah, I know. Um, So you might need to do what you have to do. Find (laughs) it. Yeah. Just locate it. You'll find it somewhere. So, yeah, because it's not. It's not like 
no longer in print, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's true for DVDs or not. I have a lot of, but ever since, everything's either now Blu-ray or it's all like streaming, streaming, streaming. And I don't have a mm-hmm. Blu-ray player. And then and I don't, I like to actually own things because if you, if you own things, the studio can't decide to write it off as a tax write-off and then make it disappear. Or stop paying so, royalties to the writers or residuals yeah. and, you know. Yeah pull it away so. yeah i've gotten a dvd player and a blue it's it plays dvd and blu-ray and i yeah i'm gonna start doing some physical media well, i don't have a tv you, you and your I fancy do. tv and your wayfair tv stand. <laughs> My wayfair tv stand because yes, mac do. doesn't do like apple decided they weren't gonna go with blu-ray and so like there's no blu-ray players from max oh that's annoying to buy like a weird like third party like some like every week you go to look at them the name changes on the brand because it's just like Fly by night places that mm-hmm. sell Blu-ray players, and you're like, oh, I'm not. and I don't want to buy TV. So yeah, we'll yeah, that's fair. But anyway, Millennium season one, Woo! boom in the bag. <laughs> yes, wow, we finished an X Files. We finished a Millennium. We're working on finishing another season of In Search of. And we got yeah, a bunch of cool getting stuff, stuff done. We do. We Look do have us. a bunch of cool stuff planned. So stay tuned. And obviously we will do Millennium Season 2 at some point as well. So yeah. If you didn't time. hear our if honestly, I'm not sure that we don't have a bunch of non-overlapping fans who like only listen to Millennium and we have some that only listen to In Search of and some that only listen to x-files because when i look at the numbers per episode and then i look at our overall numbers i'm like those like they add together but they don't like coalesce and so <laughs> i'm like maybe everyone just watches what they want to watch but anyway i kind of gave a little rundown of how things are going to be working in our season four wrap of exiles and so millennium is going to take a little bit of a break as you would during the summer if you were watching it on tv but we will be back with season two for yes, sure we absolutely will so it's yeah. good because now i need to know what happens to Catherine, and i'm sure she's fine but i want to make sure so but there yeah. might be i mean i can guarantee you that she's not gonna die but will there be ramifications? Will there be trauma? Probably. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah. Who knows? So. All right. Damn, could have been Dawn. Could have fucking been I, That would have been better. But it wouldn't have been as personal for Frank, so it wouldn't have happened. He'd have been like, oh, well. I know. Let's go home. He'd have been like, well, that <laughs> sucks. Time to get back to Seattle. <laughs> no, he wouldn't have done that. But. No, of course not. But it would have been hard to root for her to be safe because you're like, I hate her. <laughs> that too, too. Even like, eh, I don't care if they save her. I'm not watching season two. Yeah. <laughs> the point of a cliffhanger is it's got to be something you're invested in, right? Yeah. And they like, did. They're dead. Uh, and they, they did make pains to emphasize. That thing, we saw it all along. We saw the intimacy in their marriage. But they really, yes. again, made a point of exp- first time we saw them naked in bed. They've always been wearing pajamas before. So. Yeah. Definitely show that there is love and affection there. And even his house. Well, that conversation was really cute too. And the fact that he's like, you know, go take a bath. I'll get you some cocoa. Like it was just sweet. So, I mean, my wife and I have totally had that conversation when we're visiting family and we're staying. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz, and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. 
I Want to Rewatch is where we talk about the X-Files and X-Files adjacent television and films. If you like what we're doing, check out the show notes for ways to support the podcast. And of course, tell a friend. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time. And together, we'll try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still out there. there. The truth is what we make of it. Have a good one. Love you. I said I love you because I'm still singing it to my mom. (laughs) That's okay. I know what you would mean. Occasionally (laughs) when we're talking, I'm like, I'm going to use a little heart emoji. And I'm like, oh, she might take that weird. I don't know. So I'm like, she'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. Or like the little, like I use the little winky kissy face a lot. And I'm like, I don't know if Tori would like me using the winky kissy face or not. So I'll just use the wink face. Okay. It's fine. Uh, I don't worry about it. It's emojis. It's sad. Okay. All right, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Okay, bye. Bye. I love you too, Tori. (laughs) Thank you.